Yo, 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 Welcome in. It is the Dirty Water Fantasy Football Podcast, episode six. Man. Episode six. Six already, half a dozen. Half a dozen. More than more than half a baker's dozen. Uh, nope. Nope, not quite. <laughs> Almost a baker's dozen. <laughs> if we round... Nope, not that either. Nope. Uh, well, I'm good at math. And, um, we'll be there soon, Miles. Yeah. No and thank you for tuning in. Miles Ullman, Chandler Henning here. Episode 6, Draft Tips and Strategies. Such an awesome show. I'm so excited. How, how are you doing, Chandler? How was your weekend? Yeah, it was good. I was uh, I was back in Connecticut this weekend, back home. Um, you know, Miles, we uh, we've drafted some other stuff in our time, including some some dad moves. And let me tell you, I uh, I got back from a run on Saturday morning, and the lawn in the backyard was being mowed. Let me tell you that right yeah. now. And that is uh, that is up there on the uh, on the first round draft picks of uh, of dad moves. So after after that, did your dad fall asleep on the couch? He might have fallen asleep on the couch a couple of times this weekend while watching TV on. Uh, I, I mean, if, TV. On. I mean, if he didn't if he well if he did then he would be fully he would fully complete your dad move roster yeah that's i mean those are pretty high draft picks right there like, that's like the cmc that might be like a cmc like dalvin stack that, right that's there. a dad, that's a pretty fire stack right there Yeah, seriously the only way you could beat that is if he was wearing cargo shorts and high socks and new balances while mowing the lawn i don't think we quite got the <laughs> quite got the three-peat unfortunately but yeah man that was my uh that was my very exciting weekend i heard you a little bit of a shindig back at uh back L- little apartment. little bit little bit our boy andrew shout out to andrew shout out visited andrew. um he drove down from montreal stayed with stayed with us here in boston before heading back to penn state for law school year two um we had a party kind of a a court send-off we're moving in a couple weeks um which is very bittersweet i'm gonna miss this place but also i'm so excited to move out because we have too many bugs (laughs) (laughs) it's um is there like a, a isn't there some Who's the the football player who has like a bug nickname or something? It's like the spider or like a. Do you know who I'm talking about? I have no clue. I, I'm gonna have to look this up at some point. Um, but anyway, yeah, saw Andrew, and uh, you, the listener, might actually hear from Andrew pretty soon. Stay stay tuned for that little teaser. A little teaser. There were some 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 minor some minor updates um and hype coming out of camp a, little, a couple of injuries things like that so so let's break down some of the more recent news for the week um first one is that Johnu smith suffered a lower left ankle sprain during sunday's practice no timetable on his return but it isn't considered to be serious we'll monitor that and keep you guys updated dak prescott had a second mri on his shoulder which went well that's very good news. We hope Dak is able to play this season. Otherwise, it's going to be a downgrade for all Cowboys, as we mentioned last on the last episode. Yep, yep. And in as someone who's in and likes pretty much every Cowboy this season, that is uh, very good news for me as well. Yep. Kadarius Tony is dealing with an undisclosed injury that prevented him from suiting up in their preseason opener against the New York Jets. Go Jets. I'm laughing. Uh, what, what was that? Go Jets. Yeah, go Jets. First of all, I'm laughing because. <laughs> Kadarius Tony is so the the worst, the least exciting rookie of all time. God. So this was already a player we were, let's say, a little concerned with yeah. in, in terms of his fantasy relevance for year one. Any impact to other pass catching options if Kadarius can't suit up for week one? No. The, part of the reason we wrote is because it's so busy behind Galladay and this does not really provide a whole lot of clarity as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. Another rookie receiver, Rashad Bateman for the Baltimore Ravens, is set to undergo groin surgery and is expected to return sometime in September. The season starts in early September, so right now it's unknown whether he's going to miss time or not. I don't think that this is a guy that either of us were targeting in redraft this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, do, do you... 
does that give a bump up to the other pass catchers on the Ravens, Hollywood or Sammy Watkins at all? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still a little nervous about Hollywood just because of the way this offense wants to run. And by that, I mean really through Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson's legs specifically. Um, but Bateman was uh, is a talented guy. He's a guy I liked coming out of, I believe, Minnesota. Um, mm-hmm. The rookie, especially the wide receivers, are the guys that need reps in their first training camp and coming into the season to really be effective and start building up that report. Um if anything, I think this is a slight bump to Hollywood and, and Sammy Watkins is nominally the two, at least until Bateman comes back and be fights for that role. And a little bump to those guys, but also guys that I don't really love coming into the season from a redraft standpoint. So maybe, you know, guys that I will look at a little bit more, um, but not straight players I'm targeting just again because of the nature of this offense. Yep. Um the only other name I would throw out there is Mark Andrews. I actually think he gets the biggest bump. Okay. Realistically, he's Lamar's favorite target. He he is the number one target on that offense. Sure. And he will probably be the, the, the main beneficiary of any injuries to any of those pass catchers. Yep. Um, last piece of news is that Wentz and Quentin Nelson, both for the Colts, remember we talked about how they have the same foot industry, injury, excuse me, foot injury, in- Injury. <laughs> it's a foot injury industry on the Colts. In Indianapolis, it is. In right Indianapolis, now, yeah. it's, a, it's a foot injury industry. Um, they're selling a lot of foot injuries over there. They originally the timetable was five to twelve weeks uh, for those foot Absurd industries. Timetable, by the way. <laughs> for those foot industries, they had five to twelve weeks, and apparently now they're both trending towards returning for week one. Um, to me personally. I'm not convinced until I know for sure that this is happening. I, the more I think about it, the less comfortable I am drafting any Colts, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, these are players besides Jonathan Taylor that we're going to get in the later rounds anyways. And I would still much rather throw my darts on other guys compared to Pittman or you know Jack Doyle maybe as a later tight end or something these are just not guys I'm very really interested in yep agreed that'll do it for no for for news and notes what is going on today I (laughs) I can't speak or do math so maybe there's still science for me well the math thing is not specific to today though to be fair that's yeah fair enough so that means it's time um it's time to get into draft tips and strategies and you know, in a way, this is the most important episode that we will do this yeah, offseason. Totally. You know, we can talk about individual players all we want, but at the end of the day, it's all conjecture. Everyone, even professional fantasy analysts, they don't actually know anything. No one knows what's going to happen this year except for the, co- the, the coaches who make those decisions and even then things are going to change throughout the season yep. so what fantasy football is really about that what separates the good from the great players in fantasy football is strategy mm-hmm. we all know that fantasy is a luck-based game but it, 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 fantasy is about improving your statistical probability to win by employing these tips and these strategies um, to maximize your chances. Yeah, totally. The one other thing that I want to say before we jump into the 10 tips and strategies that we have laid out is uh, there's a phrase commonly used in the fantasy industry. It's that you don't win your league at your draft, but you can lose it. And I think that's a very important thing for our listeners to keep in mind because it's so true. No one has ever drafted a team and then not manage their team at all and won their championship. Unless everyone in the league was doing that too, then yeah. maybe. Yep. But realistically, there's so much management weekly that is involved in fantasy between trades and waiver wires and um, you know, uh, managing man- IR spot, managing your IR spot, who managing who you're going to start and sit every week. Yeah, there are so many decisions to make on a weekly basis. Your draft is setting you up for the foundation of a good team, but it is not the be all end all. So keep please keep that in mind. And the other thing to keep in mind is as long as you are drafting well and employ these strategies, you are 
you still have a chance to win your league. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to that's a good way to say it. Uh, you and that extends to actually the early rounds of the draft as well too, which we'll talk about in a little bit here uh, yeah. as well. So let's get into number 1. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about this already in the past couple episodes, but tier-based drafting and uh, and playing the ADP game. So what we mean by that is not locking yourself into a certain position in a certain round. You know, be adaptable and let the draft fall to you. Miles and I have talked a little bit about how, ideally, we'd like to come out of the first two rounds in our redraft leagues RBRB. Part of that is because there was such a steep drop-off after those first couple tiers of running backs, but we are not dead set on taking a running back if it does not make sense. And and there is really a good real-life example of that, especially this season, as Miles and I have mock-drafted. If you are in the early part of the first round, meaning you are in the later part of the second round, it is possible that there will be a huge run on running backs uh, up until you're, you know, in the lead-up to your second pick. And as a result, you might be sitting there looking at guys like Dobbins, Swift, maybe CEH, maybe Chris Carson, who, although are fine running backs, you might you know, really want a guy like Calvin Ridley because he is the bottom of that top tier of of wide receivers for you. And in that case, you have to look and say, okay, you know, I'm I'm really in on a guy like Ridley because I think he can make that jump to perhaps Diggs, perhaps DeAndre Hopkins status. And although I like all these running backs, I am okay if any of Dobbins, Swift, Clyde, Carson, maybe even David Montgomery fall to me. And as a result, I'm going to take my guy here at the end of that tier one round of wide receiver and be okay with guys like Dobbins, like Swift, like Clyde and Carson. And, you know, the other thing to consider here too, and and this is a little bit easier if you are in a long established league, is understanding who you're drafting against. Miles and I have done a ton of mock drafts in the the offseason. We have a very good sense of of who we like and who we don't like from a player standpoint. So if I really want a guy like maybe George Kittle in the in the end of the second round or maybe even in the third round, and I know that Miles really isn't very set on taking a, a high-end tight end this year, I might risk it and say, okay, let me get my wide receiver, let me get my running back that I really like here and hope that that tight end comes back to me. And, and that extends really through the entire draft as well too because – if later in the draft I'm looking at tight end and maybe these isn't a late round tight end that I like, like you know we've mentioned Adam Troutman in the past episodes. Um, if I am at the end of that at the end of that uh, round and I'm looking at the turn and you know I've got two picks in front of me and both those guys have tight ends. Generally speaking, it will make sense to wait for that tight end, get the guy, the running back, the wide receiver, the quarterback, even maybe who is next up on your board. And believe that because the people in front of you already have tight ends on their roster, that that tight end that you're looking at will fall back to you in your next pick. So that's really a little bit about you know understanding the ADP and using that tier-based drafting system where you are giving up the opportunity to draft a player in that next tier of guys who you might prefer, but it's it's for the sake of getting that guy in you know the last guy in that other tier for another position that you really want to roster on your team. Yep, agreed. The only other thing that I'll add there is if you are on the swing, meaning the first overall pick or the 12th overall pick of the draft. In in a 12-team, in a 12-team. In a 12-team, correct. So this applies to the 10th overall pick in a 10-team league or however many it is. Um, And maybe even the the sort of the slot in, so the second overall pick or the 11th overall pick. Um, Don't play the ADP game as much because there are too many picks to wait between your picks um just get your guys the adp game just becomes a lot harder so i would say you have to be willing to reach a little bit more if you're at the ends of of the draft yeah and let's be very clear in terms of what the adp game is that's really looking and saying there's a guy i want in the third or fourth round i'm looking at his adp i think i am around what his adp is from a pick standpoint but i'm not really sure if there's going to be people that take him ahead of me in that case, and especially in the later rounds, it might make more sense and reach for that guy and say, "Okay, I am, I am want this guy on my roster. I feel comfortable with him. I, and and you're willing to give up a little bit of that draft capital to go get him." Tip number two is draft players at their floors, not at their ceilings. 
I think that QBs are a really great way to illustrate this tip. So Josh Allen, let's take Josh Allen, for example. He just had a career year last year, finishes the QB1. He had 37 touchdowns with a 6.5% touchdown percentage. The league average for touchdown percentage is around 4.5%. So even if he stays above the league average because he's a really good quarterback, it's he's bound to regress downwards to the mean a little bit. Um meaning he's, his production is probably going to be a little bit lower than it was last season. The same thing happened with Lamar last season after his MVP season and Mahomes the season before that after his MVP season. Um, he is being drafted right now as the QB2 in the third round. In order for that pick to return value for you, he needs to be as good or better than he was last year, which statistically is unlikely, like I just mentioned. He is, this is an example where he is being drafted at his ceiling, and that's why I'm avoiding him despite how much I love Josh Allen, the, 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 you know, the NFL player. Ryan Tannehill, on the other hand, is being drafted as the QB 14 off the board. Well, Tannehill was the QB 5 in the second half of 2019 when he took over from, from Mariota, and then QB 8 last year, and the Titans just added a future Hall of Famer in Julio Jones for Tannehill to throw to. So he's being drafted at his absolute floor at QB14, which is why he's a guy I'm targeting for his value in drafts. So that's kind of an example to illustrate what I mean when I say floor versus ceiling. You don't want to draft the guys who are being drafted at their ceiling because that means that they have to hit their absolute peak in order to return value for you. You want to look at guys being drafted at their floor or close to their floor because it's much easier for them to return that value. Yep. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And and his value is coming up a little bit, but at the start of the summer, CeeDee Lamb was another version of this too, Mm -hmm. where he was the wide receiver 19. He was wide receiver 22 with bad quarterback play last year. And you were getting him for his floor with the hope that he could potentially be a top 12 wide receiver this season. Again, that's changed a little bit, but just another example of, of how that might look as well. So let's move on to general roster construction. And specifically within this kind of this broader theme, we're talking about choosing safety in early rounds and upside in later rounds. And at the same time, also balancing consistent players with players who are a little bit more boom bust. Perhaps one of the best examples of this in the first round is Nick Chubb versus Saquon Barkley. Now, from an upside standpoint, Saquon is a guy that we've mentioned as one of the few running backs in the league who can be that RB1 overall. He has that talent. He should have that opportunity, but that health is a really big question mark. Nick Chubb really does not have a very good shot to be the RB1 overall because, one, he doesn't catch passes, and two, because Kareem Hunt there is there on the roster as well, and that limits the amount of touches and the scoring potential and all the other things that really allow a running back to be that first running back overall. So this is a good example of, for us, I think when we are in drafts, choosing Chubb as the safe option there really makes a lot of sense because in the early rounds, especially in the first round, Every person is going to give you, you know, that ability to score a lot of points on a consistent basis. If you miss on one of those picks early on, for example, if Saquon does not play to start the year or does not have as big a role as he had in Latin in previous years, you're going to get hurt a hell of a lot more than if you take some of those players in the later rounds. And we've talked a little bit about some of these guys already, but players like Curtis Samuel, like Mike Williams, like Jamal Williams on the uh, on the Detroit Lions, nominally right now at least backing up DeAndre Swift, those are guys that they might give you some some boom and 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 some upside in the in the later rounds. So one, uh, one example that I, I do want to bring up in terms of consistency as well, too, and he's a player that I love, I've mentioned him a ton over the past couple episodes, is Allen Robinson. He is just a, a stalwart of consistency. You're probably not going to get the guy who's finishing wide receiver one overall on a week-to-week basis, but you're going to plug him, to, plug him into your wide receiver one, maybe even wide receiver two spot on a week-to-week basis, you're going to be thrilled and satisfied and say that spot is a check on my on my roster. But again, because he has some capped upside, you might want to play him with a guy who offers a little bit more of that boom bust, that variability on a week-to-week basis. 
Will Fuller is one example of a guy who we talked a little bit about before that is an example of this. If who if uh, if Fuller emerges as the wide receiver one in in uh, in uh, Miami in the offense, he will be a guy that on a couple of week basis might drop those twenty five even thirty five uh, points point week that win your league. So when you're building out your roster, if you have a guy like Allen Robinson, who again I believe is an awesome wide receiver one to have, to, you know to start your draft. Don't look to pair him with a guy like Jarvis Landry, for example, who's going to give you that floor. Look for some of those guys that might provide a little bit more, a little bit more boom on on a week to week basis. And you know, one other kind of caveat there is, you know, when you're looking at in the around the same tier of players, and one example of this is Tyler Lockett versus Deontay Johnson. If you already have a guy like, for example, Robert Woods on your roster, who really is that model of consistency. You might be more inclined to go with a guy like Lockett than a guy like Deontay, who again is that target volume monster, but perhaps offers a little bit less touchdown upside and ability to put up those huge numbers that might win you your your matchup in a given week. And and again, this this rule becomes a little bit more relevant as we go along in the drafts because the cost of missing on a guy like Mike Williams, as I mentioned, is a lot, lot lower than missing on a guy like Saquon with your your first overall pick in the draft. Yep, exactly. This this tip ties most directly into what I said at the beginning, where you don't win your league at the draft, but you can lose it. Yep. So if you bust on your first or second round guys, that is gonna you know, you're going to have a, a large uphill battle to climb, uh, mm-hmm. a large hill to climb in order to overcome that bust. If one of your later round guys busts, it's the draft capital, like you just said, is not such that you have such so much ground to make up because you can drop those guys and pick up whoever's performing on waivers. Yep. The point is draft for upside later in the rounds because those are the guys who are ultimately going to actually win you your league. Yeah. Remember that you're competing. You know you're playing fantasy football to win first place. You're not playing for second or third place. You don't want to just be competitive in your league. You want to win. Yeah. What's that quote from uh, Talladega Nights? If you ain't first, you're last. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's like that. <laughs> if you ain't first, you're last, people. Um, tip number four is to balance your team with players you're drafting for the long haul versus players you're willing to drop quickly. So we brought this up very briefly, I think when we talked about Elijah Moore on The Rookie Show. Here's an example for you. Um, You can draft a guy like Javante Williams or Travis Etienne knowing that they will get progressively better throughout the season. But if you are drafting either of those guys, you need to understand that they will not be great right away. They're rookies. They're going to gradually get more and more worked in to their offense throughout the season. I'd avoid taking both of those guys because that's too much of your roster being clogged by players who aren't doing anything for you right now, not to mention that they have high draft capital, so you're passing on a lot of guys who will do something for you right now. Um, If you do take a guy like Javante or like Etienne, Balance him with a guy like J.D. McKissick, okay? If, if McKissick is used the same as he was last year, awesome. You just drafted a starting running back for your roster in the 12th round. If McKissick is not used the same way that he was last year and he's a bust, then you drop McKissick for whoever popped on waivers in week one. The point is you're spending that later round draft capital to find out. You're claiming ownership on a player that you want to find out about. If they hit, amazing. You just drafted a good player for almost nothing. And if they don't hit, that's fine because you didn't spend anything on them. And you just need to understand that you need to be willing to move on. You need to be willing to cut those guys, cut your losses, and pick up the guys on week one. We will definitely talk about this in in future episodes, but week one waivers are the most important waivers. That is when we actually see what teams are doing. You know, preseason is nice, but you never know how much smoke the the coaches are throwing to the other to the rest of the league. You, we don't actually know what teams are doing until week one, and when waivers come around after week one, you need to be willing to drop players who did not perform, did not do what you expected them to do, and pick up those guys who did perform well. 
but also understand that you know if you are drafting one or multiple guys who you cannot drop then you need to you know sort of even make more room for those players who you are willing to drop yeah that makes that makes perfect sense and your roster as the season goes on will get more 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 and more beat up that is the nature of the NFL injuries will crop up as guys absorb more and more blows this is the nature of of the league so having guys like Javante and and Travis Etienne on your roster is okay but you can't afford to be waiting until week 4 week 5 week 6 for to get production from some of these roster spots so to Miles's point you got to make sure that you at least are taking some shots on some guys in the draft that will be able to return that sorry that might return value early on as well too. So this is kind of what Miles was referring to with a guy like McKissick. If McKissick is valuable to start, then you're totally fine and you can continue to roster him, and if not, you have to find that guy who maybe has a little bit increased or, or bigger role than you thought going into the season and get him on your roster using fab, using waivers, whatever it is, even trading maybe as well too is something we'll talk about. All right, so let's talk about um, another form of roster construction, handcuffing. Handcuffing is generally relates to running backs, and it is, in a, in a phrase, kind of buying insurance for your elite running backs. Handcuffs that are popular and, and worth mentioning, you know, off the top of the head here are Alexander Madison, who is the backup to Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. Tony Pollard has been an elite backup for, it feels like, a half dozen years. He is, uh, excuse me, elite handcuff. He's been the backup to Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas. Chuba Hubbard is a, is a newer backup. He is a rookie who is now the nominally the guy backing up uh, Christian McCaffrey in, in Carolina. And the idea behind a handcuff is similar to what we saw last season with, with Christian McCaffrey going down. If you happen to have Mike Davis on your roster and you also were rostering Christian McCaffrey, although you certainly felt the blow of McCaffrey going down in whatever it was, week two or week three, having the guy who was getting most, if or not all, of the value of that elite running back basically helps lessen the blow of that guy going down. And hopefully it's not a season-long thing, and when your elite guy comes back, he'll be able to slot right in, and you can move that handcuff back to your back to your uh, back to your bench now in terms of choosing handcuffs the important thing to note here is we are looking for guys that if the starter goes down they're getting almost or all of the work so you know a a although you know Saquon is still an elite running back the running back room behind him is messy we don't really know who is going to get the bulk of the volume if, a, if Saquon goes down in week two or th- week three, you know, it's absolutely worth betting on certain guys via the waiver wire, via free agent pickups, but you're not going to want to roster those guys in the drafts and give up that draft capital a- at this point. So again, guys like Madison, like Pollard, where if the starter goes down, we're pretty confident that they will be the ones getting the bulk of the volume. Those are the kind of guys that you want to roster from a handcuff perspective. Now, one thing I also will note will note here is guys like Madison, guys like Pollard, these are generally speaking later round guys. There are also players this year, and it seems like maybe even more than, than in previous years, that are handcuffs and also maybe present some standalone value. The biggest example of this might be Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt's ADP right now in Miles, correct me if I'm wrong here, is around the fifth or sixth round. So he is really expensive. And he's really expensive, one, because if Chubb goes down, I think we can confidently say that Kareem Hunt immediately slots into an RB1 workload and has the RB1 talent to manage that as well, too, and, and carry that forward. But Kareem also, based on, and you know we can debate this a little bit, but in the past, I should say, has shown the ability to have some value and deliver some value, even with Chubb on the roster and healthy. So guys like Kareem Hunt, like Jamal Williams in, in Detroit, you know, nominally behind DeAndre Swift, A.J. Dillon in, uh, in Green Bay, nominally behind uh, Aaron Jones, Latavius Murray backing up uh, um, Alvin Kamara in New Orleans, 
and, and Gus Edwards, even in Baltimore, backing up uh, J.K. Dobbins. These are guys that, yes, they will become massively, massively valuable if the starter in front of them goes down, but they might also offer some standalone change of pace value. And, and for that reason, these are guys that, at least from in my opinion, I'm considering rostering moving forward. Yeah, so this is the only tip uh, on this list on which we, you and I pretty much disagree. Okay. And I think that it's good to have this conversation because I think it's important for the listener to hear sort of both sides of the argument mm-hmm. because, you know, this is, this is a pretty um, significant debate in the fantasy community, yeah, I would totally. say, because I've definitely seen things on both sides. So generally speaking, I am against handcuff drafting your handcuff um speaking very generally um to me it is betting against yourself okay if if i have dalvin cook and i i draft dalvin cook number two overall i am expecting him to be the second best player in fantasy football if i then also draft alexander madison in I don't know where is he going right now. He's, he's like an eighth, ninth, maybe ninth, tenth round. Yeah, or maybe ninth like or tenth that. round or something like that. Then I am suggesting that <laughs> that I don't believe that Dalvin Cook will have value for my team. The only way that Madison returns on his ninth or tenth round draft price is if Dalvin Cook goes down, because Alexander Madison is not going to get any work with Dalvin Cook healthy. You know, obviously he'll get like two touches a game or whatever it is, but you know what I mean. And if Dalvin goes down and then Madison automatically becomes the RB1 there in Minnesota, then I now have a 75% Dalvin Cook. So my season's kind of screwed anyway. I personally, I don't like doing it. Because if if in this scenario Dalvin Cook stays healthy, then I just wasted whoever that ninth or tenth rounder could have been on Alexander Madison, a player I'm never going to use, and a player who's now clogging my bench. Or if he's not clogging my bench, then that means I dropped him and again wasted a ninth or tenth round pick on a guy that I ended up dropping to waivers. Handcuffs fall to waivers all the time throughout the season. I'd rather wait to pick one up um, later in the season or, you know, on the off chance that Dalvin Cook does go down or CMC does go down, then at that point, you might as well make that trade for that handcuff if you feel like it's worthwhile for you. Um, it's just to me, I think you're kind of setting yourself up for, for failure in a lot of ways. Um, and that, that's basically my take on on handcuffing i will say that that is specifically to the alexander madison tony pollard type of of handcuff where they probably don't have value outside of their starter going down i'm i'm totally fine taking a kareem hunt because he has standalone value or aj Dillon because he has standalone value with huge upside if his starter goes down yeah it's a fair point and and it's a good caveat there where if you happen to have a guy like you know, if you're early, if you get the the second or third overall pick in the draft, and you have a guy like Dalvin already rostered, and you take a guy, I don't know, J.K. Dobbins in the second, the end of the second round, I would recommend in a, in a standard roster construction with seven or so roster spots, or sorry, seven or so bench spots, taking one handcuff, probably Alexander Madison. Don't take two because having two guys sit on your bench. Is is a lot of is a lot of real estate to give up, and you're going to need that depth as the season progresses. Again, maybe not the best example there because we mentioned that Gus Edwards might have some standalone value, but again, if there is a handcuff that you're looking at and you have one on your roster ready, really think about what you're giving up by by rostering that by rostering that player. And one other thing I will mention here, Miles, is we kind of think about handcuffs as these guys that will last the entire season unfortunately a couple of very high running backs went down last season and that's something that is undoubtedly on the fantasy community's mind but you know for me a guy like madison if for some reason dalvin at some point in the season tweaks his ankle or something and he's out for two to three weeks alexander madison which is maybe 75 percent of the value of dalvin cook 
might be able to get me two or three wins during the during that time period, and that might be the difference for me between making the playoffs and not. So, yes, I think from a season long standpoint, it can be tough. But again, we understand what the NFL is like from a physical physicality standpoint, and it feels almost inevitable that some of these high end running backs will miss a couple of games over the course of the season. And I think whoever happens to have those handcuffs on their roster when that happens will have a couple of weeks of if not running back one, you know, top 12 running back value, certainly some running back two value, again, in those weeks specifically. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, two two sort of side scenarios that I'll mention about handcuffing. One is if you play best ball, um, definitely do not handcuff because then what I said about betting against yourself is even more exaggerated. Sure. Um, for best ball, I think a good strategy is take other people's handcuffs. So if I'm the Dalvin Cook owner, maybe I go for Tony Pollard. Sure. Because then I have the upside of Zeke goes down, and now I have Dalvin Cook and Zeke Light in Tony Pollard. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I'll say is, it, I when I make this argument against handcuffing, I obviously understand the value of it, and to be fair, I've done it, but. I think what I'm saying is I don't target the handcuffs. I don't reach for the handcuffs. Sure. If they fall to me and I like the value and I, I think that it, it bodes well for my team, then I'm okay taking it. I think a really good scenario where that would happen is if I went running back heavy at the beginning of my draft. So whatever, you know, I'm not even going to say examples, but if I went, if I have three really strong running backs, that means for the, for most of the middle rounds, I'm focusing on receivers, tight end QB. Then maybe I just get two handcuffs and that then my running backs are set you know for the yeah. entire season i have three strong running backs whether or not they're injured yeah that makes yeah that makes perfect sense and you're rostering five running backs who nominally should be able to create a stable of three guys who, who you can slot into your lineup on a consistent basis yep all right let's not belabor this too much um want to quickly mention stacking here as well too this is something we've alluded to i believe in the in the mock draft actually so Stacking is when you have a quarterback and wide receiver uh, from the same team. Basically, you are betting on an offense to be overachieving and doing well and hoping to get as much as many shares of that as that offense as, as humanly possible. Um, I should mention that it is most commonly quarterback and wide receiver. You can have uh, running back and wide receiver stacks. You can even have wide receiver, wide receiver stacks. It's a little bit riskier. Let, let, let's talk about those individually. Okay, let, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So quarterback, wide receiver, we know examples of this off the top of our heads. We just mentioned Josh Allen, a guy that we don't love at his current price, but I think we'd be ridiculous to say that the Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen stack is not insanely attractive this mm -hmm. season. Those are two players that, again, Ignoring their ADP for just a, a second here, we love and think that those are going to be those going to be good players. So when you have Josh Allen throwing a touchdown to Stephon Diggs, the bump in your score when that happens is going to be huge, and you're going to love you're going to love that when it exists. Um, you know, generally speaking, I think because Miles and I tend to be late round quarterback guys, anyways, you know, it's possible that for us some of these stacks might happen at the very end of the drafts as well, too. I can't remember if we end up taking him in our mock draft that we did, but I think we had possibly drafted Matt Ryan as our quarterback. Matt Ryan and Russell Gage, yeah. And, and took Russell Gage with one of the last picks of the last picks of our draft. That's an example of it's very low risk for us if for some reason the Falcons' offense is not as good as we think it's going to be. And if it is a lot better and if for some reason Matt Ryan keys in on Russell Gage and Matt Ryan can use to perform from a fantasy standpoint, we've just made some some surplus on Russell Gage's draft value. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I uh, I think that's a really good way of putting it. We've, we've maximized Russell Gage's yeah. draft value right yeah. there. Um, I will also make another note uh, uh, for best ball. Stacking is like a must do in best ball. So Whereas in redraft, if draft falls to me such that I get a good QB wide receiver stack, awesome, I'll take it, but I'm not reaching for it. In best ball, I will reach and target the stack. So, you know, if I take Mike Evans in the third or fourth, I'm going to reach for Brady in the eighth round, seventh or eighth round. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a good fine point to put on the end of the, of the QB wide receiver discussion. 
I'll just mention, I think, some examples quickly from a running back wide receiver standpoint. Again, this is really something you might consider when you are very confident about how an offense will perform in the upcoming season. We've mentioned these guys already, and, and there's a reason for that. I, I love Zeke this season from a redraft standpoint, and I love CD and I love Amari. So if I'm taking Zeke in the first round and a guy like Amari or CD is falling to me in you know, the second or the third, depending on where I'm drafting, uh, that's a stack that I will absolutely happily take and try and ride Dak Prescott's coattails to my fantasy championship. Another example of that or another couple examples of that might be Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. Again, Chargers offense is one we've talked about pretty extensively, relatively speaking, over the past couple weeks here. And then Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, um, you know, we love that offense as well, too. We love the efficiency of Tannehill. We've mentioned Tannehill already as a player that we want because he's being taken at his floor. So a couple of examples of stacks that we're interested in. And then there are also ones that I think scare us a little bit. And these are generally offenses where we might like players individually, but we're putting a lot of eggs in one basket. And, you know, examples of those might be uh, Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase or T. Higgins. Again, we're relying on the offense to be good. And I think that's a little scary because the Bengals have not really shown that to us up to this point. And then, again, players that we like individually in, in David Montgomery and Allen Robinson, but the Bears' offense is perhaps a little suspect. And they might start off with Andy Dalton, who is a bottom, bottom-tier bottom quarterback. Maybe transition to Justin Fields. We like Justin Fields long-term and in Dynasty, certainly. But there might be some adjustment period there as well, too. Yeah, and just to, just, just to sort of clarify and drive this, this point home, um, what we're saying for the first group, the Zeke and, and Amari Cooper stack, or the Eckler and Keenan Allen stack, is that we are going to draft... Austin Eckler at the end of the first round because we like that value. And then in the third round, if Keenan Allen falls to us, we're going to take that as well because we also like Keenan Allen and he's he's the best wide receiver available or whatever. Um, In the other case, I might draft Joe Mixon in the early second round because I like his value there. In that case, I am actively avoiding drafting Jamar Chase or T. Higgins. If I draft, you know, uh, David Montgomery in the third round, I am actively avoiding Allen Robinson in the early fourth. Um, that's the distinction between the two groups, is that for the first, I'm, I'm not targeting the Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen stack by any means, but if that's how it falls to me, great. For, this, for the latter group, I am avoiding that stack actively. Yep. Yeah, good point. Thank you for clarifying that. And then finally, let's briefly touch on the wide receiver, wide receiver stack. This is less common because often it is harder to do just from an ADP standpoint. And I think for us, the way that we'll summarize this is if there are players that are far apart from wide receiver standpoint in ADP, we are willing to create that stack or try to make that stack a thing. And we're less comfortable doing it if those players are close together in ADP. And we have a couple examples of this already. We've talked about Mike Williams in past episodes. He was a guy that I mentioned in our breakouts, values, uh, sleepers, and bust episode. And Miles just mentioned Keenan Allen. So those are guys with far enough apart ADPs where I'm willing to take have and have with those guys on my roster. Guys like Evans and Godwin on Tampa Bay, I'm just not going to know who is going to be getting the ball on a week-to-week basis, and that scares me to some extent. And I don't really want that frustration on my team. Yeah, and, and they'll also be cannibalizing each other. Yes. Yep. 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 So that's really it from a stacking standpoint. Miles, anything else there you want to add? Or on that's to it next? from me. On All to right. the next. So we'll move on to draft strategies now. So what I mean by that is sort of a, a general philosophy um, to approach your draft with. And the first one is going to be the late round QB and late round tight end strategy. The late round QB is strategy, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, was popularized by uh, J.J. Zacharyson, I believe. And he has a really good article. Um, it's, it's, it's titled something along the lines of why you should draft a QB in the late rounds every single year or something along those lines from like 2013 or something. So it's been going on for a while. And, and Chandler and I are big subscribers to this philosophy. Here's the reason why. 38 different quarterbacks finished as a QB1 on a given week in 2020. That means the, the replaceability of quarterbacks is so high. 
Remember that fantasy is a weekly game at its core, right? You can stream quarterbacks very successfully throughout the season for an average about uh, for an average of about 17 to 20 points per game, which over the course of the season will equate to top 12 QB production if you had drafted someone in the early rounds and then never took them out of your lineup. You're you're basically getting that production just with a little bit more active roster management throughout the season. You cannot do that type of thing for running back or receiver. On the late round tight end note, um, the caveat here to the late round tight end strategy is, we've mentioned it before, we're very okay taking the top tier of tight end. In some cases, we even want to do that, right? And when we say the top tier of tight end, we mean Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, and for for me personally, that includes Hawkinson um, because I'm projecting the breakout. Do you include Hawkinson in that top tier or no? I am okay taking Hawkinson. I think... He's not in the top tier for me, but it breaks off sharply after Hawkinson. Okay. So the point is, if you miss out on that top tier of tight ends, those three to four guys, take a late round tight end. Do not take a mid-tier tight end. And here's why. Similar to quarterback, there will be tight ends with good matchups on the waivers that you can stream week to week. More importantly than that, the elite tight ends are so unfathomably better than the rest of the field. So I'm going to illustrate that. Last year, if we look at PPR points per game among tight ends who played at least eight games, the tight end one was Travis Kelsey, of course, and the tight end four was Mark Andrews. Those two players were separated by 8.7 points per game. So Kelsey was almost nine points per game better than the tight end four in Mark Andrews. The, on a week-to-week basis. On a week-to-week basis, yes. nine points per game. Yeah. The tight end four, again, Mark Andrews, and the tight end 16, Dalton Schultz, were separated by three points per game. The takeaway here is that if you don't have an elite tight end, basically if you don't have a top three tight end, then having the tight end four doesn't really help you that much more than having the tight end 16 helps you. So you might as well wait for a later tight end who has the chance to outperform his ADP, and while the rest of your league takes those useless mid-tier tight ends, you take wide receivers and running backs who actually will help you win your league. A couple other notes on QBs and tight ends. If you do if you do not listen to this and you do take either of these positions early, or maybe you know you got your Travis Kelsey in round one, um, please only take one. You will lack depth at wide receiver or running back if you take both a tight end and a QB early because assuming every assuming everyone else in your league doesn't take both a tight end and QB early which I think in very few situations that's the case they are all going to have much better and deeper running backs and receivers than you will also only take one of each of those positions unless you're taking a flyer at the very end of your draft and are willing to drop them quickly. So for example, if you have, uh, you know, if you have Tannehill at QB and then in the last round you take Trey Lance on the off chance he's starting week two, awesome, That's I'm fine with that. Or if you take two tight ends at the very end of your draft, I call this the yin-yang tight end strategy, um, you, basically the, the, the strategy here would be you, you draft two upside tight ends at the, the last two rounds of your draft and you drop the worst one, whoever was worse after week one. I'm fine with that scenario as well. But generally speaking, you only need one QB, one tight end because there will be other options on waivers week to week. Yeah, and Miles talked a little bit about the replaceability of, of the tight end and quarterback position, but... We should also talk briefly about standard roster construction because if you are playing in a typical fantasy football league, you're going to look at your starters on a week-to-week basis and you're going to have one quarterback to play, one tight end to play, two running backs, and two wide receivers. So you're going to be playing twice as as many players in those running back and wide receiver slots as your tight end and QB spots. Not to mention your flex, which... Almost always, you're going to want to flex a running back or receiver over your tight end. Right. So in terms of sheer numbers as well, too, 
you need to have that depth on your roster from a running back and wide receiver standpoint because it's going to be required when you fill out your roster. And as those guys go down to injuries and get banged up over the course of the season, you're going to need guys to slot into those spots as well. So there is that replaceability aspect. And there's also, again, in a standard roster, having to play more of those guys than the quarterback and tight end position. Again, this goes out the window if you have a weird roster construction, but we're not going to touch on that because it is generally too niche for us. Agreed. The other draft strategy I want to mention is the zero running back strategy. Um, this is not something that Chandler and I recommend, but I think it's important for us to explain because it's probably something that you've heard about, heard about, but you might not know what it is or, or why you would do it. Essentially, you would do this because running backs get injured more and bust more frequently than do the other positions. So this philosophy is you take your receivers, your tight end, your QB at the beginning of the draft, you lock up those positions, and then you try to find value at running back later in the draft and hope people hit. So, you know, you might take a bunch of handcuffs in this situation, maybe the Jamal Williams type of player, the JD McKissick player who um, has some standalone value and you're hoping, you know, it outperforms their ADP and you let your receivers... Um, and onesie positions, QB and tight end, anchor your team. That's essentially the general gist of the strategy. Again, Chandler and I both really like to have deep running back cores. I, I just find that to be a lot more valuable. I've never seen someone win a fantasy championship without at least one bell cow, on, bell cow running back on their team. Um, I will say zero RB is probably better for best ball if you play. But again, it's it, even in that format, it's not something I would recommend. Yeah, you gotta have some big cojones this season yep. to be rocking the running zero running back. Yeah, uh, this this season especially. Again, because of that drop off in, in running back value happens so early. Um, I don't think there's anything else to say there really. It's it's a tough strategy to employ in general and 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 do effectively and and this season especially. So, let's move on to a couple of uh, quick hitters here. We'll mention defense and kickers. My first point of advice here is t- to stop having these play, these positions to be part of your league. Um, Plus one to yeah. that. Look, Miles and I are a little snooty when it comes to some of this stuff from a fantasy football standpoint. We do not think it's fun to fight on the waiver wire over kickers and defenses. If, if that's something your league enjoys, more power to you. But for us, it is more fun to fight over the next big wide receiver. There's just more, so much more strategy that goes into the receivers yeah, and totally, running backs. Totally. But... If you are keeping these uh, these positions in, in your league, our advice is simple: take them at the end of your draft, ideally with your second, your you know your two last picks. Don't be that guy that takes Justin Tucker in the ninth because he is going to be the number one kicker this season. It is not going to pay off. The people around you should laugh at you first off, and they will also take. <laughs> wide receivers like Robbie Anderson and Mike Williams and Antonio Brown that might end up as their wide receiver two or three wait, wait, on their roster. What about Rodrigo Blankenship? Can I take him in the ninth round? Rodrigo is the only exception okay. to this rule. Um, shout out Andrew, by the way. Um, yeah, so kicker is so hard to predict. It is one of the most fickle positions in both professional football, actual football, and in fantasy football. It just does not pay dividends to reach a, or really even take the kicker at all early defenses are a little bit perhaps more predictable but our advice there is still similar rather than looking at you know what is going to be the best defense in the nfl and what's the best defense from your scoring setup look at the first couple weeks of the season and figure out who has really good matchups and you know a defense may be playing a rookie quarterback or a bad offense and we have examples of that this season as well too uh, you know, Denver is being drafted as the 14th defense off the board right now. So to Miles's, to Miles's note here, they're not drafted because defense is absolutely a position that you should not be rostering more than one of. Denver plays the Giants the Jaguar, and the Jaguars to start the season. Two of, we think, we're going to be at least bottom 10, if not bottom five offenses yep. in the league this year. Wouldn't you rather start Denver in those matchups than the Steelers, who are you know, nominally the number two defense over the season versus Buffalo, high-powered Buffalo with Josh Allen and, and Stephon Diggs in week one and maybe put up minus points from your defensive slot in week one. 
you'd rather start Denver. So the answer there is to wait on defense and take Denver with your, you know, with your pick. Yeah, fully agree. I, I don't want to dwell on this too often. I just want to say it's it's so strange um, because in week four, but you know, by week three or four, everyone is streaming defenses. Everyone knows you don't want sure. to play Pittsburgh against Buffalo. You don't want to play any defense playing Buffalo. You don't want to play any defense playing Kansas City. Sure. For some reason, every single year we forget about that. We forget about that during draft season, and we start defenses who are supposed to be good defenses against bad matchups and that's not something that you would do later in the season but for some reason the fantasy community just forgets about that don't be that guy who forgets about it draft denver uh, you know a team that you don't have to reach for you get that defense in the very last round of your draft and it's probably one of the more elite defenses to start in week one yeah totally and you have that advantage over your team the last tip tip number 10 we have for you is don't buy the injury dips so what an injury dip is is in the draft a player starts losing value meaning they're going later their adp is is dropping because of an injury an example two examples from last season would be aj green and debo samuel they were they both had upside they were both guys that people believed in but they were falling down draft boards because of injuries and neither panned out. I think Michael Thomas could be a really good example this year where I, I kind of am seeing him gradually fall down draft boards. Good, good. Yeah, and my advice would be don't buy that dip. I know it's appealing. I know at a certain point you feel like it's a really good value. I just think as a general principle, it's probably best to avoid those players. Yeah, totally. Make sure that your roster is solid before you even consider those guys because... They are boom bust in a way that's arguably harder to predict than some of the other guys that are boom bust because of their potential role in their offenses. In in conclusion to all of this, I think that another key takeaway is, is don't be emotional. Don't draft the whole Raiders roster because you're a huge Raiders fan. Um Maybe draft the whole Jets roster because you're a huge Jets fan. That's what's on the point. Zach Wilson, Zach, boy. Yeah, Elijah Moore. Go Elijah Moore. Um, ba- you know, seriously though, balance your team um, using the principles that we just laid out, and you're gonna set yourself up for success, and 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 you'll kill your draft. Yeah, we have. We, when we set out to start this podcast, we did not want to be a podcast that was throwing numbers at our listeners constantly every five seconds and inundating them with data and information and things like that. But we have taken an analytical approach and that's to demonstrate what we think is a successful strategy in fantasy football in general. Look at players, analyze them, look at how their performance has been in the past, understand their roles in the offenses and use that to figure out, do I want this player or this player? Yes, Ross, you know, drafts can obviously go very quickly, but having a plan and doing that preparation going into the draft, and that's something important we haven't mentioned either. Prepare for your draft. Understand mock draft. Yes, mock draft. Do tons and tons of mock drafts. That is the way you'll figure out where players are going and who you're going to be looking at when it gets to when it gets to that spot, and you have two minutes on the clock to take a player. So doing that preparation, analyzing, understanding strengths and benefits and weaknesses and strengths of other players. That will be how you will, again, not win your league, but not lose your league in the draft. We'll end on that. If you like what you heard, either in this episode or other episodes, please like and subscribe um, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. They really help and and and. We've said this in previous episodes, but even if it's bad, even if you have constructive criticism, we want to hear it. We want to know how yeah, we can improve. Totally. So, so please let us know. You can also, you know, feel free to reach out to us: Facebook, Dirty Water Fantasy; Instagram at Dirty Water Fantasy; Twitter at Dirty Water FF, and at Miles Ullman FF. Um, we we really want to be able to interact with our community and start maybe answering fan questions and and um, just just understanding how we can do whatever possible to help you the listener win your league yeah 100 percent. we love this this is our passion yep um next show we have mock trial what that is <laughs> is we are going to be arguing <laughs> we're going to be arguing discrepancies in our rankings it's a pun folks it's a pun. yeah yeah in case i didn't make it clear 
it's a pun. <laughs> and it also, in case I didn't make this clear, we love puns. We love puns. Um, we're going to be arguing discrepancies in our rankings, and we have two special guests coming on the show, which we're super excited God, about. I'm That's so all excited. I'll say the, for now. The band's back together. I know. I, I can't wait. Um, that'll do it. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening. Signing off, folks. We love you. Win your league, baby. Feeding them lines while you're dying inside, dying inside. Oh!